As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Single Mom Survive and Thrive. Just me plus three, and we're living our best life. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my latest episode. I am calling this The D Word Part 2. The second part to my D Word series. (laughs) No, uh, I don't have a series, obviously. D Word Part 1, we talked about dating mostly in single mom life and dicks, right? Um, This one is a little different. It's not about that, but you know what? This topic is a little more serious. Today's episode is going to be a little more serious a little more get your tissues ready type of thing. Um, but I wanted to discuss this topic because it's something that's so prevalent in all of us, on, honestly, on a regular basis, every single one of us. But I think as a single parent, having to, to go and deal with uh, what depression is um, is a unique journey in itself. And um, we could talk about depression over and over and over and over and over again in many episodes, right? But I feel like I wanted to bring that up today and I wanted to talk about it because it's like often a taboo topic. I feel like today it's not so taboo though, right? Like everybody is acceptant of the fact that we're all allowed to say that we deal with depression and everybody deals with depression openly more now, but it is still slightly taboo. A lot of people don't want to think that they deal with it in multiple different ways in their life. But um, honestly, like what's going through my mind at the moment is like depression is like an easy segue from dating and dicks. <laughs> um, I don't know about you guys, but that dating life can cause me depression in and of itself, you know. And there's a million things that cause depression, but, um, you know, situational things and, and dramas of 
dating and dealing with men, honestly, or relationships. Sorry, I don't mean to say that negatively about men, but just like, you know, the love relationships, that stuff is, you know, it will drive us to our grave early, right? Sometimes. Um, And then, you know, there's so many other things that come along in our lives with our children that we'll dive into today and talk about. But I just wanted to discuss this topic a little bit and see, share with you guys a little bit of my journey as to how I've dealt with some depression over the years. And, um, you know, we'll dive into that in some details. And I'd like to discuss it more with with some friends as well in a later episode, maybe not today, because I don't have anybody lined up to meet and talk with. But you never know. I could make a a quick phone call on the fly and we'll see what happens. (laughs) But depression, man, is that not a word that that sometimes like, you know, is thrown around a lot, right? It's something that a lot of us, we used to joke about that when I was young, we'd say, oh, it's so depressing. Oh, I'm so depressed thinking about that. It's a, it's, it's loosely thrown around sometimes. And then, you know, fast forward to our current day, there's been so much um, horrific things that's gone on in, in our culture today, you know, through suicides and so on and other things, homicides, all that, and just, it all boils down to mental health and depression, right? I mean, depression is just one piece of mental health, obviously, mental health, uh, behavioral health, it covers all kinds of things. And by all means, by the way, I'm no expert in this. I'm not a psychologist in any way. I've just walked through my own journey. I can definitely share what's worked for me, what hasn't worked for me, things that I feel like has brought, uh, on some depression in me and how, you know, how over the years it's, it's balanced out. But a whole new meaning of dealing with depression hit me uh, last year when I was dealing with it with my children and my daughters, which we will talk about in a little bit um, from now. But I want to talk about some of that. And as a parent, I never had, you know, like managing my own journey of depression is hard enough. But then having to be a parent um, and facing your own child's depression journey is next level. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Some single parents out there right now, mommies might be like, well, my kids are three and two and what, like (laughs) when you got little ones, I mean, some people have kids that have anxiety and depression when they're young. It's, it's a possibility, especially when you've had separations and divorce, you've got a lot of kids that express anxiety and sadness and depression in many different ways. They're not, they're not exempt from it, but it doesn't present itself like, like it does in a teenager, right? when uh, suicidal thoughts come around or cutting and all of that horrific stuff that you're just not ready to deal with, right? 
So I want to bring some of that into the topic and just if anything, just if any moms out there are going through some of this with their kids or yourself, that you just don't feel alone today, that you know that we're all here with you, me and any other single mom out there walking through the same shit, to be honest, it's not life's not easy. You know, my mother in law always says, um, everything is difficult, nothing is easy. <laughs> but it's like, it's so true. You know, once we have the right expectations of life, and we don't walk around thinking that things should be easy, uh, we won't feel so victimized and alone, you know, life's difficult, and we have to manage it. And we never know what's around the corner that could spur up some some deep inner sadness. And, and speaking of that, I just want to start off by saying, <clears throat> I can't get away from my, uh, my usual ritual. It is Sunday. It is cloudy outside. Very depressing, you know, mood. <laughs> but I'm drinking a beer. So I want to cheers to all you ladies and men if you're listening. I'm drinking Pacifico. Sunday fun day, right? So cheers. Cheers to me drinking by myself on a Sunday. Okay. Anyway, hopefully some of you are out, out there also. But I'd just like to say I was very productive this weekend. I actually did a lot of yard work yesterday. I've cleaned the house today and done dishes, so I deserve this beer, right? It's a Sunday afternoon after all, and I'm podcasting. So hey, it's all productivity at the end of the day. <laughs> okay, so I thought I would just start with like a little bit about my journey of me as a kid, my life, right? Because um, it just gives you the background of, of some of my story of how I ended up dealing with any depression. So I'll start as a kid. Um, I had a great upbringing. I had a normal upbringing per se. I had a nice house, two parents, brother, dog, great friends. Um, Overall, I look back at my childhood and I just have warm, fuzzy feelings. Overall, there was obviously things I struggled with as well as any other kid would, but just had the most loving parents. My mom was just an angel. I have memories of like her waking me up with a bath already run ready to go and and get in the bath before school, you know, <laughs> like cup of tea ready for me to drink. Just spoiled me, actually. She's, she definitely <laughs> spoiled me. But uh, in a way, like my parents taught me how to have a humble heart. So it wasn't like I was spoiled to to being a brat. But anyway, just just so grateful of my childhood. My parents did such a great job. My dad struggled his, with his own demons a bit, you know, with his uh, alcoholism. And my mom too, who doesn't have demons, right? I knew she struggled with anxiety really bad. She used to have panic attacks. Um, and she thought she had a heart attack at one point when I was eight. So she stopped smoking. So she's always been a really anxious person. She had a lot going on in her life that kind of probably added to that. So I will say I was definitely exposed to as a child to a lot of anxiety. You know, my dad always had to have things going, going, go, go, go. Like he was drug, struggling with his alcoholism. Not that I saw that, but you know, that's an inner, you know, battle in itself. And my mom always running around codependently making sure he's okay. And overall, they just had a, a very, an amazing relationship, but there was codependency and alcoholism and anxieties, right? what household doesn't have something like that going on? So I know that I was exposed um, to anxiety and I developed my own symptoms of that as a very young kid as well. Partly I think DNA is in that. I started having phobias, weird like irrational ones. When you're little, you don't really understand fear, right? So you develop irrational fears and I had a fear of throwing up, which I know is a common phobia out there, right? Who the fuck likes to throw up, right? Nobody. But I mean, I would have major panic attacks. Like I had to have key code words and shit I couldn't use. Like I'd work myself up so much into from the fear of it, I'd actually end up throwing up and stuff. It was, it was silly. But 
you know, it, it turned out that, you know, it was just an early stage of me managing anxiety, right? And then um, it sort of presented itself in more like traditional panic attacks as my teen years, like I felt like I couldn't breathe and so on. Very like unexplainable, like looking back, if I've, I've sort of dove into that and wondered where all that came from. And it could have been spurred from, you know, we moved when I was eight. So maybe like, am I, there was a lot of anxiety and stress around that move from my brother and my mom. So maybe it came from that, you know, maybe I, I held like it, held it together, but, but like deep down I was maybe struggling with it too. And that's the way it, you know, sort of presented itself. Then again, like I kind of grew out of it. I really have always done a good job about you know, taking things on head first and just saying, right, let's fix this. Let's try to get a solution. I didn't let it take over my life in any way. I kind of plowed through it, didn't need meds, didn't need therapy, just carried on living life to the fullest and kind of like worked my way through those panic attacks and learned how to manage them, if you will. And then uh, I, you know, stopped having them, right? So I feel like I successfully kind of grew out of that. Doesn't mean that I don't have that like baked in me and ready to, to present itself in different ways at any time. You know, anxiety and depression come go hand in hand right but I've always like I've never had a clinically depressed personality at all I've always had very rational logical ways of working through things I've a lot of I'm very emotional but I have never had traumatizing things in my life that that caused me to be a depressed child or manage thing you know I've just had a lot of love and support from my family had a lot of great fun with my friends and just was always very empowered to go live my life so I went off to college uh, mind you I started partying pretty hard when I was in college so I'm surprised I, you know, I was good, but I was also bad, <laughs> but I, I held it together. If anything, I learned from my dad how to be a functioning addict, or I wouldn't say addict, abuser, partier, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I hate labels, but it is what it is. But again, looking back over those years in college, back in England, I just had the freaking best time in life, you know, just... I never had any major boyfriend problems. I dated guys and things would work out, wouldn't work out. I've always just never let any of that get in the way of my friends and my fun and just the the great things that, you know, life had to give worked. And then I moved out here to the States, carried on having a great time, met my ex-husband, right? Again, partying and like living life to the fullest. But then we moved to Hollywood. Um, we had this cool, like new first year of being together. And it was just like, again, all fun and all great lovely relationship between him and I and uh, that's why I thought we'd be a great fit to start having children I, it wasn't much thought put to it I was only 25 but I was just running off with my feelings and thought this must be it you know oops I got pregnant oh oh okay that's fine and then life really got serious you know you don't start living life with any seriousness <laughs> until you start becoming a parent I don't know about you guys if you agree on this but I feel like that's the turning point of my life is, uh, you know, I was chasing dreams back then in 2005 of being in the film industry. And so was he, my ex and stuff. And we had the freedom to do that. We were young, we were making ends meet, everything was fine. And then once I became a parent, shit got real or, you know, soon to be parent, right? Pregnant. Shit got real. I had to take things in a different light to switch back to a different career that was more like, you know, steady and, you know, I had to put on my big girl pants and be the mature person to now be in charge for another person's life. And, you know, I can, I wish I could say the same for my ex-husband. He just, they're not, they're not wired the same guys, you know, like he was only 21 as well at the time. I was 25, he's four years younger than me. He was young. I mean, he's mature for his age, but he was definitely not ready for any of that, you know, looking back and, and, and like, I'm shocked to think that I would even think that he would be ready for that. I was just head in the clouds, I guess. But, you know, and that was a turning point in my life and his life and our lives as a family. 
but you know I give it to him he we tried our best to make things work went back and lived with his parents and you know and then it was like shit I'm about to have a kid you know and uh we had to and then but then he wasn't ready to start drinking and partying I did because I was pregnant right and then I'm bearing the the woes of this this responsibility by myself he's still young and you know he's standing by me and we're, we're going and getting a new apartment close to his parents and all of that however he's not in any mental state to like fully grasp what the fuck was about to go on from there you know I did because I got this shit growing in my stomach and my hormones are starting to you know uh, intensify and and my body's changing and you know all you moms out there I'm sure can relate exactly what I'm talking about if any guys are listening you can't relate whatsoever (laughs) but um you know, that shit was a mind fuck. I, I used to write a, a, jur- a journal at the time and I, I still keep that journal from the first f- few weeks of my pregnancy. I think it's funny to go read it. Sometimes it's just funny to read what was going through my head and a lot of fear, a lot of, I remember it like yesterday, a lot of, oh my God, is this really happening? What was I thinking? You know, and um, that was the beginning of the end, I, I, if you will, <laughs> between him and I, you know, on our journey of of how our life would never be the same and never be like a healthy um relationship after that because his drinking and stress of that just got worse and worse and he's in his early 20s like I'm mid-20s right and uh fuck I mean we, we made it work we got through the pregnancy baby came and you know I, don't, I feel like I didn't have time to feel too much fear I was you know working and um dealing with this new baby and it was just a mixture of like pure joy as well as pure fear and stress all the time because he was now his drinking and and anger that came from alcohol like you know alcohol infused nights of fights and stuff were getting a bit ridiculous but I was just trying to be the best mom I could be and all of that for this new baby and Matt did his best as well in between him drinking he was a great dad um so yeah that was that and then before you know it shit was really rough between us just like the stress of that you know it was um unhealthy from that point on had a friend who at the time was my best friend. I considered her my best friend. She was around all the time. We met at work prior to me even meeting my ex, actually. So she was like one of my sisters, you know. She was there for me throughout the pregnancy. I I was there through throughout her stuff. She had um a, an abortion. I had been there with her through that. Really, you know, she threw my baby shower for me. A very close friend. She was always coming over and helping hold the baby for me. And just, uh, it was, I was grateful to have her to get me through it. And then- As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And I don't know how this even happened, but boom, I was pregnant again. Like nine months. <laughs> My baby was nine months and I found out I was pregnant again. Honestly, you guys, I can't even remember. 
the sexual encounter that happened. I was like, are you sure this happened? <laughs> How did this happen? But it did. And, and I almost um, chose to have an abortion because him and I were in such a bad place at this point. I hated him. I just hated him. I was resentful of him. He was a jackass. He was always drinking, always, you know, I'm sober and normal and trying to be like this like functional mom for this baby. And, um, you know, I just felt like our, we were on such different pages, really. Um, and so I just thought, you know, I can't wait to get, I used to like envision me leaving him and stuff. So when I found out I was pregnant again, the stress of that was just too much. I had arranged an abortion, but my friend talked me out of it. She said it was a good idea. It's just not. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad she did, obviously. Um, and she was a great, a different friend. She was a great, um, a great, what's the word, support system for me at the time. Because she had also was pregnant too. And we'd become friends. We were friends from work and her kids were my kids age at this point. And so she really helped me through that pregnancy. And my other friend, my one I talked to you about, the first friend she was there too but she was always drinking with my ex and stuff and I was like I don't really feel like she was there for me like like my I don't want to throw names out right now without asking their permission so but let's call it friend a that was there with me a lot for the first pregnancy and friend b that had the kids she was really there for me but friend a kept coming around and I thought she was my friend but she was hanging out with my ex more than me and lo and behold I caught them cheating um Actually, I walked in on that when my second baby was only six weeks old. Um, now, mind you, we're four years in at this point, Max, and I were, you know, pretty serious living together. We weren't married, but we were like married couple, right? Two babies. And then this bitch, <laughs> this friend A, um, was having an affair with him, and I caught that. I'm going somewhere with all of this. I'm not trying to paint a picture of me being a victim, but it was a tough turning point in my life that I realized at this point on um, from that point on, there was a lot of built up stress and trauma that had started to develop, especially since that. When I walked in on them, that was the most traumatizing, mind-blowing, horrific example of deceit and um, backstabbing I've ever, you know, experienced in my life. And no one's ever ready for something like that. That's a double whammy. That really hurt, you know, my sort of husband and my best friend mm. and so life changed from that point we split up I moved out we you know and then um he wanted to prove to me that's not who he is he doesn't he wanted to stop drinking and we started going to church he started counseling and he wanted to just still come around and support me with the babies and I was okay with that and it was just a really really fragile time for me I had like night I couldn't sleep I couldn't oh the pain of that I can't even explain it, you guys. I, 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 sometimes when I think back to it, and it's like, you know, that was, that really scarred me for life. Um, and from that point on, you know, <clears throat> I've, I've noticed to this day, which that was in 2008. So eight, 14 years ago, I'm still dealing with uh, PTSD from that from time to time. It just rears its head in different ways. Um, but you know, it was like, I didn't really have time at the time to, to like, I've noticed this about traumatizing events. I don't have time to process it then and there. I have to still got these kids to function for and go, go, go. I have a job to do. I have a, I don't have time to sit and like dwell in that so much. I have to feel it, no doubt, but I have to get, keep moving and keep going. And then it, 
it starts to hit me later, you know, I'm sure a lot of you can relate with that. But my point is, as it relates to depression, I didn't start to feel that inner stress and anxiety of, of, oh my God, I'm feeling out of control, darkness and depression until some years later. And I really kind of put it to it all, like a lot of it being like PTSD, which just in case people don't know what that means, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so again, like I'm painting the picture from my history, right? I've just had this happy-go-lucky life. I've had this so far the beginning of our relationship this happy-go-lucky relationship then we get we have kids and then life just goes on its head and then you know he just goes upside down and then he cheats somebody with my best friend I walk in all of this was just something that my happy-go-lucky non-traumatizing life was not really ready for and I wasn't raised in a home with a broken home and split parents so I wasn't like mentally prepared to have to deal with that you know, no way. I thought I picked the right guy. I thought this was it, you know. So when he was like begging me and begging me to try to work things out, let's go to church. I go, I start going to church with him. And then I accept the Lord in my life and all of that. And that was beautiful and great. And thank God for that, because I was so alone at the time. So I really did. God really stepped in and helped me. And then he convinced me to marry him just so we could try to get like God's blessings and everything, which was weird. Like I did it out of sort of obedience in my mind. But I was hating life and trying to marry that guy that year. It was only six months after all that. So again, it was just a very like 2008 was one of my least favorite years of my whole life because it was just like, here I am supposed to be happy and get married. But but I'm marrying this guy who was a piece of shit who just cheated on me. And I wasn't really connecting the dots to addiction so much at that time. I just thought he was a piece of shit, you know, but it really was him and his addiction, you know. So his newfound sobriety and living life as a sober man was was the focal point of our lives. And the sober person he became or was, I got to know this new sober man and I loved him actually. I thought it was just great. So I did give it a chance and we work really hard at counseling every week. And, you know, I know that it can be, you know, it's challenging coming back from some infidelity, but it can be done if two people try hard enough, you know, but it was painful very difficult and very painful and our relationship was never the same but it was like a new thing you know we had a new relationship we were getting to know each other on a new level he was growing up more and more as the years go by and more involved in church and it was kind of cool for a while but then um we Matt developed some problems with his back and started having to take pain meds and the stress and fear that came along with that was too much for me to bear and that's when I started having my newfound anxiety attacks. It all started coming back again. Not phobias, but just the same, like, I found myself in the bathroom, like, hyperventilating. And just, like, the fear was just too much. The stress of everything, we, we'd taken on, he'd started a new career and we had horses. As long as he was doing, like, their equine therapy. So we'd gotten a property with uh, horses in the back. So we're having to take care of horses. And then I got pregnant with my third kid, my son. So this is like four years after that. So the girls were like six and eight, right? Or five and seven, sorry. And um, so I get pregnant and, and anyway, um, no, four and six. So it should have been a happy time once again, but it was also stressful and scary. And I don't know. I thought it would be a good idea to have a third child. But and, you know, of course it is. Right. Um, I have three amazing kids. But at the time it was terrible. Once again, we should have just left it at two. But um you know, it is what it is. And the stress and again, once it came on from that was too much. I, I started to um, 
go to the doctor and and say I need meds, but I was pregnant. So I actually at this point had said, I'm afraid. I I was driving down the freeway and was like, I don't think I would care if I went off the edge of this cliff, you know, like the freeway by the beach or off the fire. I don't I wouldn't even care. I wouldn't care if I crashed right now. Like those were the feelings I started to feel that I'd never felt before. Like the stress was becoming just too much. It almost was like I had just coasted through, you know, church had helped me process through some of it. But now it was hitting me like now I was feeling it. So I had to see a psychologist, you know, throughout that pregnancy because meds wasn't a good idea. So which was kind of, which was cool. But I, I do feel like hormones, I was 32. So like hormones, later pregnancy, all added to that additional, like it was very, it felt very hormonally driven, um, very rational fears. And, you know, but it was, it was something I dealt with in the past. It was like rearing its ugly head in a new way. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So once I had the baby, you know, I had some other health issues I was dealing with, but that started my journey with antidepressants after I had the kid or my son, (laughs) Um, because then it was like, you know, I am beyond, like, I can't even put into words my, the dark days that I have. Um, It's not like I ever had the depression that kept me in bed all day, every day, because I didn't have the ability to do that. (laughs) I have three kids now. I had a job. I had a husband that was like a working liability most of the time. So I have the ability to be like, by people, I'm out. Like I'm in bed now. You know, I did some days on the weekends, but I, uh, but I, I, I wouldn't, you know, some days I wanted, some days I would be like, I'm done. You know, I'd have a crying fit and then just have to go to bed. But, um, so it was like, it presented itself in similar ways, but I still was like, why am I so stressed out? I'm just taking on the burdens of the world, I guess. And so I started seeing a psychiatrist. Um, oh no, was it my regular doctor? And they prescribed um an antidepressant. So that was good. That was my first time dealing with that. And um, yeah, I was only on it for a while. Then I got off it, and I wasn't on any for a while. And then the the ending of our relationship got really bad, and I didn't have time to think about my depression because. Um, you know, Matt's addict, when we moved back in with his parents, his addiction, he, he relapsed on street drugs. Like he had been taking opiates for his back for a long time, which made him kind of an addict. And he acted out like, acted like a stupid, like a, a lot of shit would happen. Like he would crash his car or I'd catch him like, like I'd, I caught him one night as some shady text messaging going on and I grabbed his phone and I read it and he was like selling his meds to people and stuff like, so he was in addiction mode and I was 
dealing with the stress of that. Like I'd come home and he looked like he'd overdose. I'd have to take him to the ER and stuff. And all while managing three kids and a job and horses. Oh, guys. Anyway. So when we moved in with his folks, I was kind of excited to get that help from them a little bit. And so he could get back on his feet because he lost his job with all of that. And I had, you know, we were financially too, it was too difficult. But he moved right in with his, uh, the street that he grew up on with all of his douchebag drug addict friends that lived on the same road. So it wasn't before long. He didn't have a job. He was waiting on this disability thing coming in. And boom, he starts hanging out with these guys. And boom, before you know it, I could tell he's tweaking and using speed. And then it just started. He was just a full-blown heroin addict after that. And um, then it's a whole new world of fear and stress. I started to be like, fuck it. I was going out with my friends more, drinking, partying, trying to just release in some way. But I was just like, this this is getting bad. And then he moved into a different room. We were living in separate rooms. And he would bring really scary people around to the house. And it was clear he, he was in a real dark place. And I had no time to think about me once again, you know. And so... Uh, we, we, it just got really bad. He, his car was towed, or not towed, uh, repoed, and he was arrested, all kinds of drama. I had to call the cops a few times. So that's when we moved out. That was 2014 in October. And um, that was traumatizing in itself, right? Uh, his whole family at the time hated me because they didn't believe he was on drugs. And it was a very lonely time. My folks are in England and, and everything. And it was just me plus three at that time trying to sort of figure this out. And we got out and we moved into an apartment. And then it was like, okay, here we are. New life, new. I finally broke away from this and, you know, escalated horrific journey that we've just lived over the last 10 years. And um, I, again, did everything I could that I knew to keep me as healthy and focused and strong as possible. I worked a lot. I, um, not like, like I just put, I threw, I felt like I threw myself into my job is my point. I was always with the kids doing something at church or we were in recovery groups. I really worked hard at trying to keep everything really good for them and positive and, um, so that they didn't feel too traumatized by the whole thing. Right. It was more about them at this point, not me. <laughs> um, they were only like, my son was just not even two, turning two that month. And then the others were uh, six and eight. So the girls were six and eight. My eight-year-old obviously blamed herself for the whole thing. And it was very, very, very stressful and horrible. And then, um, again, I could have easily self-destructed, melted into my bed. And, you know, some weekends I would do that, but I usually just drank. (laughs) Um, And just, you know try my best to keep happy and busy with the kids and really just take myself out of it and just make their lives as good as possible. And I started dating guys here and there, nothing crazy, but then I sort of started dating this crazy guy and uh, he was a little crazy and he got me pregnant by accident. (laughs) I should have aborted it, but I didn't. I didn't believe in abortion. And so, um, but God had his different plans with that one. Um, it turns out it ended up being ectopic. I had cramping. I went to the hospital. And then I went home thinking it was fine. And then I had to be, I woke up Christmas Day on, in 2015, um, on the floor puking violently and just like dying, basically. Basically, my ectopic pregnancy had ruptured. And uh, we had to call 911. And I had massive blood loss. And I was, it was a close call. We got me to the hospital. They had to do an emergency surgery to remove it, blood transfusion, the whole thing. 
but I was survived, you know, surviving and thriving over here. Um, but it was at that point they gave me the depot shot, right? And I was just like, and it was just a horrible traumatizing time. And I remember after that point, I literally lost my mind. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I think the depot shot helped, but I was like, I feel like I just remember being completely like I've lost my mind. I can't function. I can't do this. So I was back up in the, um, psychiatrist's office and he prescribed me Wellbutrin and I've been on it ever since you guys. And, um, I'm not ashamed to say that because that got me through that year, you know, and I've leveled out on that. Right. And on and off, that was seven years ago, eight years, seven years ago on and off. I've, I've stopped sometimes and I've taken it. And then there's been times I could go on about my life journey. Right. But there's been a lot more since then has happened, you know, and I, I can only go on so much on this episode, but I mean, you, I've talked a lot about my separation since then. It, I, I tried to make it le- as less about me as possible because if I sit in my own, you know, sadness, I just couldn't function for the kid's sake. So I thought, you know, if I need some pills to help me do this, I freaking will take pills, right? And well, butrin really worked for me, actually. It definitely helped level me out. And between that and just trying to be as healthy as possible with, with exercise and being around good people and church and things, I don't go to church as much anymore, but... And just having a healthy balance of fun and, you know, it, you know, I've been mentally quite well. I've had phases where it's not been like that, you know, and my ex-husband, his addictions then just really went off the chain and for years on and off, it was all about how do we get this man sober? You know, fast forward in 2020, you know, he overdosed in my house. And again, with that, I found this last year, as I talked to you guys in November, that I felt like I had some PTSD processing going on in November when it was a year after the overdose and I almost he almost died in my arms right and I just you know there's been some shit that this man has just brought to my life I'm not I'm, I'm not here to 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 bash him but his demons if you will his journey of, of me loving this or having this man in my life has really brought me through some trauma which I've had to manage in my own way you know and it's I've been trying to protect the kids from it um, but I'm a mature enough person and I had to deal with anxiety as a young kid. So it's like, I felt like I've always been very well equipped to get through it. If I'm depressed, I, I, sometimes I just, I was telling my friend this the other day, sometimes I just know I have to go to sleep and I just have to sleep it out and wait till, you know, the next day comes around cause I'll be fine the next day. And sometimes I don't snap out of it. Like, like for example, I mentioned to you on the last episode that I'm dating somebody. Well, I'm no longer dating that guy. Turns out he's one of those people that it falls into that dicks category. <laughs> um, and I don't want to go into any details, but I've definitely felt some of that lovesick depression feelings the last few days. I caught myself getting all caught up in the feelings for this guy, piece of shit guy that I should not be having those feelings for giving any of that away to. But sometimes it's like it puts you in a funk. It really does. And sometimes it takes you down. Like yesterday, I actually couldn't. After I did my yard work, I was so tired from the funk I was in and the mental anguish. I had to go to bed and just go to sleep and sleep it off. And I was in a funk all day. I'm probably going to be in a funk for about a couple days on that one till it's out, out of my system. Because that's just what we go through, you know. And it's like when you've gone through something big and traumatic like a separation, divorce, or anything really big. Believe me you know, that funk from that shit lasts a long time. It's not easy to get out of that funk, right? And we just, we as adults have, we know about knowledge. We have, we have 
counseling we go to. I've been I've been in and out of counselors' offices for years. We have medications we can use. We have friends that we can reach out to. So it's a matter of just figuring out what works for us and just getting on it and doing it because we have kids to manage and it's like we don't get to sit around and like wallow in our sorrow, right? And so that leads me to my next section of this, depression and kids. So there you go. So I've been dealing with depression on and off. I do feel like a lot of it's been through trauma though, like it's trauma related and that's okay. That's just something I, you know, PTSD type, you know, driven depression and, and I've, and I work through it. But one thing I wasn't prepared for is that trauma related depression in my kiddos. Now each kid, you know, manages that stress differently. My little son, he gets anxious. My older one, she's just very, uh, she in, she keeps it all in. She blocks things out in the past and she just sort of like deals with it. My middle one is very moody. When we moved out and we moved into this new house, she used to say, I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. And she was only like six. No, no, sorry. Ten or so. And I used to freak out about that. I'm like, if there's anybody going to deal with major depression, it's going to be her, you know. And I got them counseling here and there, but I just never was that focused on that. And then uh, I feel like she got, you know, they all did a really great job of getting better at just being accepting of the situation. Their dad's not in their life. He comes in and out sometimes. But overall, they've done a really good job about managing it through the support of friends and being in a good school and, and, and us. And I've never really been too worried about it to the point where I need to put them in counseling. But not that you should have to worry about not that you should leave counseling just to be when it's a bad thing. I think maintenance wise, it's a good idea for kids to have counseling always. You just got to make the time and find it. You know, it's not easy to coordinate all that I found. So then 2020 came around, you know, their grandpa died, their dad relapsed. Oh, we lost our cat too. And then it was just the the pandemic and all of that shit, right? Well, whose kid wasn't dealing with depression around that time? I mean, I know everybody who has a kid says that their kid was struggling, right? So put all that together. And, um, you know, I get a call from the school one day saying that they, the technology they use to monitor emails was, uh, you detected a word, you know, I guess she was emailing her friend. She never sent it. She was composing it, but, uh, found some words or whatever that, so anyway, so they read this letter and, and they said that she says she wants, she feels like she wants to hang herself often and that she cuts herself and that she's thinking about killing herself sometimes, right? So this is my, now she's 14, actually in two weeks, she'll be 14, but back then she was 13, 12, 13, whatever. It's probably about this time, two years ago, she was 12. Um, Wait, was it last year? It was this time last year, I think. So anyway, ugh, anyway, yeah. Um. Basically, I, it freaked me out. I lost it. But, you know, the school council was really great about helping me kind of keep calm through it, talk to her about it. Then we got, you know, I took to a counselor um, or a psychiatrist. No, I, I felt like it didn't happen right away. I don't know why. We just started talking through it, working through it. And I felt pretty good about the way we were handling it. And then a few weeks later, I saw her cuts all over her legs again. And, uh, turns out she continued cutting all over her legs and so we did take it to a psychiatrist and they ended up putting her on the same medication I'm on which has been good um I don't think she cuts anymore but um you know sometimes you never know right but it was just like an eye-opener that sometimes 
you have no fucking clue what's going through your kids' heads, you know? And it really made me realize, like, wow, life is scary and depression is scary when it's, when it's your children. Like, the amount of times I have been afraid to come home and, and be afraid to walk in her room and see her hanging was just, it's like, those fears are real. Like, when I actually fear that my kid might kill herself, that was, that's, that shit's like no fucking joke. I wasn't prepared for that. Like, no parents are prepared for that. A lot of, my initial reaction was to just go off and scream, like, how can you do this to me, you know? But it's like, I was advised, it's just not the way to handle it, you know? She needs to know that. So, on and off, since then, it's been a challenge, but she's doing better. I really do think she's doing better, but she's still on the medication. We started counseling, counseling stopped. It's been hard to make sure she gets to that counseling all the time. It's like, man... I, once again, don't get a chance to deal with my own depression because I have to deal with my children's depression now. <laughs> and it's something that I, you know, I know my some of my friends have walked through that too. And it's like, oh my God, I never, never in a million years would I have thought to have to deal with this with them. And I can only imagine if there's any parents out there whose kids have killed themselves or have had a child that's killed themselves. Like I've heard lots of stories of situations that have happened and it's heartbreaking. And all we can, I feel like all we can do is our best and then just to pray a lot about it because you never know. Like I just, I still, the fear lives in me today, even my oldest because she internalizes so much. Like what, you know, I just, but we can't as a parent live in that fear of like, will my child kill themselves? You know, it's too scary to go there. You just have to pray a lot over them for them. But it's a real thing in today's world. It's so scary. And just like, ugh. but my overall thought is like, if we've got tools, let's use them. If it, if it means medication, so be it. If it means counseling, so be it. Like there's tools out there, let's use them. You know, we need, we need to be strong for our children. We all have our way of coping with the stress of life, you know, and sometimes those ways are not very good. You know, I feel like I have a good balance of healthy ways of managing it and not so healthy ways. <laughs> you know, I probably drink too much. I probably go out too much with, you know, date too much, whatever it is that you might classically say, well, that's not the healthiest way to manage cope with stress. You know, I probably have those, a list of those, but I also do things well. Like I, I read a lot. I listen to podcasts. I rest a lot. I exercise quite a lot. Not as much now because I hurt my neck, but, um, but just overall, you know, I know how to, you know, do things in a healthy way as well. I just, it's just life's tough. You know, depression is a thing. And it comes from so much around us that are influences, you know. I found that those cool, like, apps recently have been really helpful. The affirmations and the quotes, the in- inspirational, like, things that pop up on your phone. Or uh, The other night I was listening to affirmation. Um, it was almost like meditation. It was just a lot of I am this, I am that. And I thought, how cool is that? Like, I was really quite meditating on how... Uh, I am the best I can be and I am all I can be and I love myself. <laughs> um, just positive self-talk, right? Or as uh, as um, Mary J. Blige says, just wake up every morning and tell yourself, good morning, gorgeous, you know? <laughs> it's just, uh, 
it's whatever we got to do to self-preserve, self-love ourselves and stay healthy. We got to do it for our kids' sake, you know? Um, and I feel like even when they get older and they move out and they're adults, that stress still doesn't go away. <laughs> Everyone tells me that too, but part of me is excited for them to grow up and, and, you know, so I don't have to worry so much, but then I'm like, well, no, that's still just going to be, now they're going to have to deal with depression and relationships and divorces possibly and children, you know, the things that have really like shaped my stress in life. I won't say stress, but any of the traumas that come have come for me have come from having to live life with responsibilities. Like when I was young and had a carefree life, I didn't have that. <laughs> I didn't have trauma and stress. Um, but with relationships, um, I've had a lot, you know, and this whole dating situation I just kind of come to recently, it's like, it's making me feel very, very depressed about how like, I have been single eight years and I don't think there's a problem with that. I'm not trying to say it's a problem, but I don't want to be single. I've never wanted to be single. I love so hard on people. Anyone that knows me will tell you I'm the most relational person, most loyal and loving person you'll ever meet. I'm not trying to do my own heart. I'm just saying this is who I am. I'm meant to be with somebody. I'm meant to have a person that I just love. Poor, the person that gets to feel my love is the luckiest person. And there's been people out there that have experienced that. But being an empath and a big lover, you know, it's like I attract those that are like narcissists that take that from me willingly and don't give it back to me, you know. And it's like, why can I not find somebody that is the same as me? That I'm also attracted to, mind you, <laughs> because like, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there like that, but I've just not been attracted to them or I haven't attracted them. So I don't know what's broken in me, you guys, but it, that alone is starting to depress me right now. And I know that I don't have a whole lot of time for a relationship. I don't. However, I'm starting to feel very dark and dismal about the whole thing. I want a nice wedding. I want to have like a beautiful honeymoon. I never had a honeymoon. You got to remember, I had like a shotgun wedding, you know, after my horrific situation with my best friend having an affair with him. Like it was just to quickly get married. I didn't have what a beautiful wedding is supposed to be about, you know, of, of, of like celebrating two beautiful people coming together and like their love and their commitment to each other. Like, I would be the most committed person you'll ever meet. And I can't seem to meet guys that want the same. I just keep meeting guys that are afraid of committing. They don't want to commit. They're fun and they have great sex and all. <laughs> and we get along and we have a great time, but that's it. They don't want to commit to anybody. Those are the guys I keep attracting. What's wrong with me? I just wish that I had the answer. I just wish I had a freaking like personal psychologist every day to walk alongside me and say, nope, don't do that. This is why you're doing that. Say this and then you'll, you'll you know, attract what you want. And I don't know. I don't know what's broken in me, you guys. But ultimately, I'm, I'm not trying to make like relationships and love as a big, big focus in my life because it's not. I don't need it. I'm a very functional mom. I've lived alone eight years. I have a great job, good house. I don't need a man. But I want somebody to love me and my children. I do. I really, really do. I'm not ashamed to say that. I want that. And I'm not found it. And I'm not looking like desperately looking either. Because like I said in the last episode, 
you know, what the, what the dating coach taught me was like, don't look for it because then you'll not find it. So I haven't, I mean, occasionally I'll go on the dating apps and stuff, but I've just let like fate take its course and I still haven't met anybody, nobody, nobody that's anything good. And it's depressing. <laughs> it's a Sunday afternoon, gloomy weather outside, depressed, depressing situation. <laughs> but anyway, I know I'm not alone in that, you know, and uh, all of you moms listening out there, I'm sure you're like, don't worry, girl, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, you know, it's all right. It's okay. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of things to be grateful for. I have great kids and I don't need this. I don't need a guy. But every time I get a little taste of that and I want and I start to develop feelings, it's like, oh, I want that so bad. I just want to be loved by somebody and adored and treat and just spoil. And I've not had that ever. Honestly, ever. I had a boyfriend in 2020 that was the closest thing I got to it. He did treat me pretty well, but it just didn't work out. But outside of that, like my ex-husband, I can never say he treated me that well at all. I mean, he wasn't a, an abuser or nothing, but he was definitely a young punk most of the time. and just had his life, you know, just had it out for himself. And so I'm not trying to bash him and all, but, you know, he wasn't ready for anything about what we were going to enter into. He wasn't. And it was foolish of me to expect that he was. So I don't I don't have any grudge against him. I've really worked through forgiveness of, of all of that for him. And, you know, we still have kids together. So he's not really around right now, but I'll never, you know, go back to the place of hating him. There's just no point. That's just uh, toxic for me if I hate if I hate him. Um, but, you know, it just makes me sad sometimes that. Anyway. It, all I can say is that depression is a topic that I feel like we need to discuss more and more. It's something that looks very different for different people. We shouldn't hide it. We shouldn't ignore it. Don't ignore it in your kids because the last thing you do want to do is ignore that because who knows how that can manifest, right? So depression is real. Let's, let's stand up and say it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to say out loud like, I want a boyfriend and I can't find one that's any good and I'm sad about that and that makes me feel like a loser and I've had a failed marriage and I've had a failed you know and it makes me feel like like I'm a fucking loser like what's wrong with me you know and I'm not ashamed to say that that's okay to say that I know life has its its you know fate driven story to it and that's all right like I'm accepting of it but sometimes it fucking sucks. It fucking sucks. And I'm okay with admitting that. <sighs> and what are you okay with admitting? What is it that you guys feel inside that you wish was different? Sometimes for me, writing it out helps. I write poems. I write songs. And sometimes just fucking feeling it, dude. Sitting in that shit and feeling it. Smelling it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Um, But, you know... Today might be a sad, gloomy day. Tomorrow the sunshine's going to be back out and it'll be a funny day and we'll have laughs and joy and friendship. And, you know, and that guy is a distant memory in your mind more and more as time goes on. You know, it is. That's, that's life. Things get better with time. Always. Time heals. So we'll stand in this together, you guys. And remember, depression is a thing. It's I call it the D word because people don't like to even say the word, but it exists. That D word is a real thing. So nurture it. Make sure you tend to it. When I say nurture it, meaning like 
tend to the sickness. Don't ignore it. Find out what works to help you through that and just do what it takes. And I'm here for you, ladies. I'm here for you, single dads too. But we'll work through this together. And again, if you want to drop me a a line, uh, any kind of message or anything you want to share with me at Single Moms Survive and Thrive at my Facebook page, always send me a note. I love hearing from you guys. Any ideas that you might have, you want to share your story with me or you want to even come and talk to me on this podcast someday, let me know. It always really makes me feel so great to know that there's people out there listening and and getting something from this. So... (laughs) But that's my subject today, guys. I hope that today was uh, insightful for you. You heard a little bit more about me and my journey with the D word, aka depression. And uh, wish me luck this week because I'm trying to get that boy out of my head and it seems to be bothering me a lot. So (laughs) next time we're talking, I'm sure that guy won't even be a fucking utterance of my mouth. (laughs) Not even a topic to bring up. So, okay. I will let you guys all get back today. Have a great one. Look forward to speaking to you guys on the next episode. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.